The second Bible reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. Thank you, Yuvi. Now, as the church, we've been working through the Gospel of John for the last few months, so well done. We've made it to John chapter 11, and how fitting is it that we will reflect on this passage for Easter Sunday. Now, if you are new visiting us this morning, 
Uh, we're always keen to understand the scripture because we believe it to be the word of God to us and for us. And so do keep your Bibles open if you can. If you need help finding it, ask someone next to you. And so follow along as we work through this passage, which we also saw in a kids' talk. And on the inside of the newsletter, there's the outline of the sermon. You might find that helpful for you uh, to follow along. Well, once again, let's, let's join in prayer and ask that God will help us understand the, the deep significance of this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this passage we hear extreme, profound, extraordinary claims of the Lord Jesus. Help us to understand it for what it is and to respond as we must. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the annual calendar... There are many important dates, many personal dates. My birthday, it's, it's pretty important. It's a day, it's not coming up yet, so don't worry. It's a day where I am felt uh, that I'm cared for and treated well. Uh, yesterday I went to a birthday party of one of the young ones from our church. They are so young, they're in their 20s, unbelievable, so young. I'm approaching my midlife crisis, which means... Soon you might see a red car in the minister's car park. Uh, that might happen soon, this midlife crisis is coming, but Yvonne thinks no, no red car for us. Or my anniversary, that's also pretty important. Or more correctly, Yvonne makes sure that it's important for us. And I'm sure for you, you'll have your important dates in the year, your personal dates, your special days. But what are we to make of Easter Sunday? It seems so far and so distant, and perhaps even for some of you, so foreign. What has Easter Sunday have to do with me? Well, let me put it to you this morning that Easter Sunday is deeply personal. We may not even be aware of this, but it affects every single soul in this world for all of human history, whether you celebrate it or not. It's quite different to my birthday or anniversary, which doesn't affect anyone at all, and who cares? But Easter Sunday is deeply personal. You see, Easter Sunday is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is personal. Because, you see, if the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that is, not just his spirit going up, but bodily, physically, came back from the grave, came back from dead, if that did not happen, then you should cast away this public holiday. Cast away churches, all the churches in human history. Cast away, cast away Christianity as the most deceptive of religions. If it's not true, we're all wasting our time. We're really all wasting our time if it's all fake. But if it is true, that one man conquered the grave, came back from the dead, then Easter Sunday is deeply personal because that same man has a claim on every single one of you. And that's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. It's not only personal, but it has also been called, been called the most dangerous idea. It was Peter Hitchens. He is a former Marxist revolutionary who became a Christian. On an ABC show, Q&A, a couple of years ago, he said this. He said, The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead 
And that is the most dangerous idea you'll ever encounter. You see, it's the most dangerous idea because what it shows is that death is not the end. Death is not the end of our existence. There is something beyond the grave and that affects every single soul, whether you believe it or not, whether you celebrate it or not, it is deeply personal. And that's what we see in our passage, in the kids' talk, in our reading, Death is not the end. You see, in our passage, we meet these two sisters in desperate hope. Desperate hope. Their brother Lazarus has just died. And so they're confronted. They're confronted with the horror, the ugliness of death that snatches away their loved one. You see, death is like this hungry beast that continues to swallow and swallow and swallow and never give up, never be satisfied. And if you have ever experienced anyone close to you die, you know that deep, aching, hurting feeling inside. You think, is this really the end? Is this it for this person? And then you try to come to grips with never seeing that loved one again. And so try to sense what these sisters were feeling, desperate, hoping beyond hopes that something could have been done. In fact, they hoped that something should have been done. And so you see in this story, Martha, we meet her. She comes to Jesus, and you can just imagine her breaking down before the Lord Jesus. And in verse 21, she cried out, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So you gave sight to the blind, you made the lame walk, you cleansed the leper, you could have done something, you should have been here. It's now too late. And later we meet her sister Mary. She said the same thing, fell at the feet of Jesus. Verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so you can sense their desperate hope. If only, Lord... If only you were here. And so they saw the ugliness of death. And they don't like it one bit. Nor should any one of us. But you see, that's the experience of every single person. Every single person will experience death around them. Or one day we will ourselves. No one will live on forever. You see, we are all under the sentence of death. It may be gradual. But it will happen. You know how people say, uh, I'm, I'm feeling my age. I mean, I went to the birthday yesterday. These young people, they're only in their 20s. I'm a lot older. I'm feeling my age. In fact, my wife, Yvonne, she reminds me, you're not as young as you used to be. Well, that is obvious. Every day I am getting older. But what she is saying to me is that you can't behave like you are a young man anymore. You're not young anymore. Because you see, the other week, my growth group, my Bible study, we had a social, and they decide, decided, these young people, they decided, let's go to Bounce. Now, if you know what Bounce is, it's an indoor play center. Kids, little kids have their parties there. And here am I, a grown man with these young teenagers and 20s, and I thought I'd join in. It was okay, jumping around in the center with all trampolines. But then the next day, I was feeling pain in my shoulders. 
I wasn't even using my shoulders. You don't use your shoulders to jump. And so I'm feeling my age. You see, our body reminds us that we will not live on forever. No one will. Eventually, something in us will fail. We all experience it. In fact, we see it in those around us as well. Those we love. Family. Parents. Brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. Eventually, someone we know and love will breathe their last and their life snuffed out. And death has won. Death has won. Oh, how we hate death at that point. Oh, how we hate it. And it never intends to give us back the one that robbed. But that is, of course, until this story. When Jesus makes this extraordinary claim, in the face of desperate hope, death will not have the last word. Death will lose its sting. Death will not win in the end. Now you just have to imagine, in this story, what would have been running through the mind of Martha? What would have been happening inside her heart when she heard what Jesus said next? Look at verse 23. Your brother will rise again. I mean, is this a sick, cruel joke that Jesus is pulling on her? I mean, just picture that even today at a funeral. Everyone mourning, grieving in sorrow, in tears. The dead person in the coffin. And some man comes along and says, he will rise again. I mean, is this a sick, cruel joke Jesus is pulling? He's already been dead for four days. There's no coming back from the dead. What is Jesus on about? Now, I did a bit of research just to try to see what happens to a human body after four days of being dead. And so I asked a resident doctor who comes to our church. I thought he knew, you know, a doctor you should know, but he searched up Google and he told me, <laughs> and it's pretty disgusting. The first three days, the initial decaying process, body looks normal on the outside, but on the inside it is decomposing. Bacteria eating away at the intestines, enzymes leaking, flies coming, laying eggs, maggots feasting. First three days, disgusting. On the fourth day, the body starts to putrefy, that is to, to rot and to decompose. And so is this a sick, cruel joke, Jesus? Well, it would have been if it was not true. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And now Martha responds, look at verse 24. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, she's thinking Ezekiel 37. Our first reading, on the last and great day, all the dead will be raised up to life, to judgment. That will happen at the end of history, the valley of dry bones. Not in the middle of history, but Jesus meant what he meant. Verse 25, look. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now do you see what Jesus is claiming here? It is extraordinary. He did not say here, if you obey the hundreds of laws, 
If you live a decent human life, if you care for your family well, you will never die. He did not say that. He said, if you believe in me, it is a call for faith, for trust in him. Jesus is claiming, not only can I raise the dead, I am the resurrection. I am the focal point of new life. I'm the focal point of eternal life, of heaven, of the kingdom of God. All that is good and pure and excellent and glorious and new is all bound up in me. And not only can I give life, I am life. You see, it's a claim of divinity. Well, Jesus claims it, and now he proves it. He proves it, but not before we see his humanity and his holy outrage at death. Do you notice how Jesus reacted when he saw Mary weeping? Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Now it's worth noting here that the literal word for deeply moved is in fact a far, far stronger word. It's not merely deeply moved as in being compassionate and sympathetic. Instead, it is a strong, intense word. It means anger, outrage. He was angry in his spirit. He was intensely angry and outraged in his spirit and troubled. You see, it's the same word that is used for the snorting of a horse. It's not a gentle, sympathetic feeling. It is outrage. Now, why do you think Jesus reacted that way? Shouldn't he have compassion, sympathy for Mary and Martha? There, there, it's going to be okay. Why outrage? We see, here we see something of the character of God. It was a holy outrage at what has come of all humanity. Moved by the death of his friend, moved by the grief and sorrow of the sisters, he feels it, but Jesus is here feeling anger and outrage inside at what sin has done to humanity. We were not made to die. We were made to live, to be with God forever. But it's come to this. Now, as a shadow over all humanity, there is this violent tyranny of death. You see, Jesus is trying to tell us here, we're never meant to get used to the idea of death. Today, people often sanitize death and people speak of death as though that, that man, that lady, only just passed away. No, not just passed away. Death is horrific. It, it is an ugly beast. And so Jesus, he was expressing an anger towards sin and sickness and decay and corruption and death. It wreaks so much havoc and causes so much sorrow. And so verse 33, again, we see Jesus was angry in his spirit and troubled. And then he asks, where have you laid him? But yet here at the same time, we see that he wept. And that is because he's seeing the misery and the predicament of all humanity. And so a holy outrage. Now we see a powerful command. He says, take away the stone. 
Now you can imagine what they were thinking. No way. No way. The stench would be unbearable, nauseating. He's decomposing already. I mean, if you have ever had a, just even a little whiff of rotten meat, rotten chicken, rotten beef, it is nauseating. But this is a whole human body rotting away. Flies, maggots, the lot. But what did they do? Well, I'm sure hesitantly, verse 41, they took away the stone. And now we hear the words of the only one who can claim, I am the resurrection and the life. He claims it, now he proves it. Verse 42, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And in verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And as easy as that, he came out. Dead man, now walking and alive. Now it's been said that if Jesus did not call out Lazarus by name and only said, come out, then all the graves and tombs would have been emptied. See, Jesus claimed it, and then he proved it. But of course, Lazarus, he did eventually die again. He didn't go on living forever. He had a second funeral. His bones are still today in some tomb somewhere. But you see, this story was there for a purpose. It was to help us see that death is not the end. We are all under the sentence of death. It will come for all of us, but it doesn't get the last word. It might still bite, but it has lost its sting. Because this story here prepares us and leads into the Easter story. You see, on Good Friday, Jesus himself died. But he died not from sickness or illness like Lazarus. It was a different death. The death of Jesus was the death of one who had no sin, who knew no sin, no curse, no sickness, no misery, no decay, and one who did not deserve the judgment of God, and one who was not meant to die at all. But do you remember the reaction of Jesus towards sin and sickness and decay and death? That reaction of outrage, that holy anger while well, in his death that was poured on him in his own death on the cross you see he faced death by dying dying for those who deserve to die like you and me dying for those who are under the sentence of death like you and me dying for those who deserve the judgment of god like you and me he faced death by dying and in it, he dealt a death blow to death itself. He broke the tyranny of death. He killed death, took away its sting. And that's why he can claim, I am the resurrection and the life. Because he himself was raised up to life on Easter Sunday, victorious over death, tomb emptied, grave conquered, death defeated to go on living, never to die again, to reign, to be never swallowed up by death, ever. 
And that's why you'll never find the bones of Jesus anywhere. You'll find Lazarus' bones, but not the bones of Jesus. And that's why we sang before in our hymn, Up from the grave he arose with the mighty triumph over the foes. He arose, a victor over the dark domain. He lives forever with the saints to reign. That's why we sang that. And so can you see how Easter Sunday is so, so personal? Far more than my birthday or anniversary, far more important than your birthday. For now, my eternal destiny and your eternal destiny is bound up with Jesus. The only one who can say, I am the resurrection and the life. And so do you see how Peter Hitchens was right? The belief that Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead is the most outrageous idea, the most dangerous idea, in fact, the most dangerous truth, because it has altered the whole course of human history. It has altered death itself. For one day, Jesus will call out in a loud voice to all those who belong to him or who trusted in him, Paul the Apostle, come forth! and he'll come out of the grave. Billy Graham, come forth, and he'll rise out of the grave. Fanny Crosby, come forth, and she will rise out of the grave. There is no power like it in all the universe. And that is why it is also the most hopeful truth. It is why Christians in the first few centuries, they preferred, and many still do, Christians prefer to bury their dead instead of cremating them. In the early few centuries, the Roman world, the pagans, they would cremate their death instead of burying them. They would place two gold coins as a way to usher them into the afterlife. But the Christians, they would bury their dead as a way of expecting, anticipating the resurrection life, that Christ would breathe new life and give a new body fit for heaven. And when Christianity was made illegal in the first few centuries, the needing to find land to bury their dead was difficult, and so Christians built a lot of these catacombs under Rome, thousands of little places where they buried their dead. And what the Romans did, the pagan Romans did, to spite the Christians, to mock them for believing the resurrection, what they would do was they would burn the Christians and they would scatter the ashes as if that would frustrate God's plan for the resurrection. As if that would stop Christ from calling out, come forth. You see, not one bit. Nothing will frustrate God's plans and powers. It's not like anything can stop the one who claimed, I am the resurrection and the life. The valley of dry bones, the scattered ashes, no trouble for him at all. And so do you see how hopeful the message of Easter Sunday is? And it is so deeply personal because it affects every single soul, whether you believe it or not, whether you celebrate it or not. For Jesus said, He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you believe this? And so what that means then, that if you don't believe this, you really have to understand the predicament that you're under. If you don't believe this, then this life is as good as it gets. 
there's no hope. It won't get any better. Because when your end comes and death swallows you up, it will only get worse for you'll face the wrath of God. But if you believe this, then this life is as bad as it gets. Because when our end comes, it will only get better. For there will be the resurrection life. For there will be eternal life. For there will be glory with God forever in heaven. No longer any hint of sadness or sorrow or grief or tears or pain or suffering of this life. For it will be perfect. There will be with all the saints from all around the world, from every generation, there will be the great reunion of all those who trusted in Jesus. Oh, how I long for that day. I have my family now, three kids growing up, but I know that I won't have them forever. Eventually, death will take one of us, but there in heaven, I'll have my family forever. I'll get to meet my great-grand-uncle, perhaps the first Christian in my family. He became a minister in Taiwan. I'll get to meet the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, Moses, Abraham. But more importantly, I'll be with Christ my Saviour forever with the joy and peace and happiness and comfort and fulfilment unknown in this world. And so you see, Easter Sunday is why Christians can always die with such great hope. It was John Stott who said this once, and I want to remember this for my gravestone. He said, The proper epitaph to write for the Christian believer is not a dismal, uncertain petition. R.I.P. It's Latin, it means rest in peace. Now, I'm not sure if you know, but RIP is not a very Christian thing. It's actually not a very Christian thing to say because it lacks certainty. It's a petition for the dead that, that guarantees nothing. Instead, for the Christian, it is a joyful and certain affirmation. C-A-D. Christ abolished death. I want to remember that for my gravestone. So Easter Sunday is extremely, deeply personal because the one who defeated death, conquered the grave, raised to resurrection life said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Well, of course, our prayer is that every single one of you will and we'll see each other, of course, tomorrow, but hopefully in heaven for all eternity. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we praise you for your Son, who is indeed the resurrection and the life, and grants us life with him forever. We pray that you do give us that unwavering faith to believe in Jesus, who will one day raise us also. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.